Well, good morning again, and welcome to the last week in our Bod for God series. We're going to be talking a little bit uh, this morning about what it means to continue to steward our bodies well, looking a little bit at God's Word and what His Word has to say about that. But I think it's only right that before we even come to that Word, that we take a moment to allow God to prepare our hearts and our minds to receive the message that He has for us this morning. So would you please bow your heads and pray with me? Let's pray together. Lord God, we give you thanks that you have drawn us here this morning, and we thank you for the gift of life. We thank you that you have made us physical and spiritual beings. And so, Lord, we ask that once again you would teach us what it means to steward our lives well, to see how really it's an act of of worship, it's a spiritual discipline, it's really all a part of walking the life of faith with you. And so, Lord, we ask that you would remove any barriers that would keep us from hearing the message you have for us this morning. And God, I pray that the words of my lips and the meditation of my heart would be pleasing in your sight, O God, who is indeed our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So I just want to begin by doing a little recap of why are we talking about this? Why do we have this series called Bod for God? And the real reason that we have this series called Bod for God is because our lives matter to God. One of our mantras has been this passage from 1 Corinthians 6, verses 19 to 20, where the Apostle Paul writes, he says, Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Well, what I love about this verse is that what we see there is the spiritual and the physical intertwined, right? Paul is saying that our bodies are temples for the Holy Spirit, that God dwells within our hearts. And as a result, we are to steward our bodies well. We are to honor God with our bodies. The physical and the spiritual go hand in hand. That's really what we've been talking about over the past several weeks. We began in week one with Pastor Dennis kind of setting up the whole paradigm and highlighting that in Scripture what we see is that we have always been and always will be physical and spiritual beings. That when God created us in the garden, it says that he formed the man out of the dust of the earth and then he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and then he became a living being. You see, it was when the physical and the spiritual were united that he actually became a living being. But likewise, what Pastor Dennis highlighted is he said, and that gift of physical life is a gift that Jesus gives us in the resurrection. That when the resurrection comes, we will be resurrected physical and spiritual beings. And then in week two, I talked a little bit about the importance of when, when it comes to our physical lives and stewarding our bodies well, we need to have the right perspective, that it's not really about uh, ourselves. We don't uh, steward our bodies out of, a, out of narcissism. We don't ignore them as if they didn't matter. But rather, we recognize that they are a gift like all things from the God who made us and who loves us. And then last week, Pastor Mike was here and he talked about some of the practicals of doing that. And he said, really, it is about diet and exercise, but it's not about fad diets and it's not about crazy exercise routines. It's rather the reality that just as each soul is unique, what it means is each body is unique. And so our calling as Christians is to know how we're made and to then steward our bodies well, which means that no one diet or exercise routine is going to fit all people. But the question is, what has God called you and I to do with what he's given us? And that brings us to this last week, 
which is kind of going to build on everything beforehand. And I hope that as you've been going throughout the series, you know you've kind of been a little bit inspired and started to maybe think about your physical life a little bit differently. And hopefully you're walking away with some practicals, right? Some things that you want to do. Maybe it's a little bit of motivation, realizing, yeah, you know what? I can do that. God is calling me, and he's going to help me to, to steward my body well. Maybe you're walking away, and you actually have a plan now, a plan for diet and for exercise. But one of the things that I want to emphasize is that while motivation is good and a plan is very, very important, by themselves, they will only get you so far. We actually see this every single year at New Year's, right? People come into New Year's and they're ready to make a New Year's resolution. They want a fresh start for the year. They've got the motivation. They may even buy the gym membership. They may put things on their calendar, but then what happens when February hits? Everything goes back to normal. Nothing changes. And the question is, why? Why is it that nothing changes? Well, I think it's because there's a missing ingredient that's vitally important to bring about change and transformation in our lives, whether we're talking about physical change with diet and exercise, whether we're talking about spiritual change, like pursuing some kind of spiritual discipline. The point is, is that if we desire to see change in our lives, there is a key ingredient that we dare not overlook. And to help us think about that, I want to revisit one of the passages that was read a little bit earlier in our service. It's this passage from uh, Hebrews 12, verses 1 to 3. See, one of the things that we notice is that often physical metaphors are used throughout Scripture to talk about the life of faith. And one of the images that some of the Scripture writers love to use is this image of a race. And the writer of Hebrews says this, he says, Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. See, what the writer of Hebrews is saying is he's saying we have a, we have a, a race uh, of life to run. That our faith life is a race to be run with perseverance. And the way that we run it is by fixing our eyes on Jesus clinging to him, but that we dare not miss something, and that's what comes right before that verse. Because this is how he opens that chapter. He says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run the race marked out for us with perseverance. See, the whole of chapter 11 is the writer of Hebrews lays out all these people who've run the race ahead of us. He talks about people like Adam and Moses and David and so on and so forth. And what he says is he says, we have great examples. We have a cloud of witnesses that have run the race ahead of us and that now run the race with us. What he's saying is he's saying, you are not meant to run your race alone. That the life of faith and the race of faith is not a solo individual affair. What he's saying is he's saying that if we're to run this race with perseverance, what we need is we need a team. We need a team that can encourage and support us when the race becomes difficult. And so that's what we're going to talk about this morning is we're going to talk about your team we're going to talk about the community of faith that runs the race of faith with us. Because a team is vitally important because as individuals, we can only go so far. Let me tell you what I mean. When I was growing up, I loved watching the Chicago Bulls. 
And the reason I loved watching the Chicago Bulls is because when I was growing up, the Bulls were the most dominant team in the NBA. That as a, as a kid growing up, the Bulls actually won not just one three-peat, but two three-peats. That means that for three years, they won the title every single year. They were the most dominant team on the court. When the Chicago Bulls stepped onto the court, you were watching poetry in motion. You were watching a team that was fine-tuned to win. And people have gone back and they've analyzed that team. They've analyzed that dynasty and they said, what was it? What were the key ingredients that went into them being such a dominant team? Now, some people have said, well, the, the real change began when they recruited this guy to their team. When they recruited Michael Jordan. Because Jordan is arguably one of the best basketball players of all time. Sorry, LeBron. It's just true. <laughs> Deal with it. Because Michael Jordan was just like grace in motion and strength and power. I mean, when this guy stepped on the court, it was incredible to watch. He was an amazing basketball player. But the problem was, is if you really asked his coach, Phil Jackson, is that actually the issue was that they had Michael Jordan on their team. Here's what, here's what Phil Jackson had to say in his book, Sacred Hoops. See, one of the things that he noticed as a coach is he noticed something odd would take place in practice when Michael Jordan would show up. See, he would come, the, Phil Jackson would come to practices and he would see the guys and they'd be on the court and they'd be doing their drills, they'd be running their layups and practicing free throws and setting picks. But the moment Michael stepped onto the court, everybody stopped practicing and just started watching. But the other guys got distracted. They were no longer focusing on their free throws because everybody was watching Michael because he was such an amazing athlete. And his teammates knew it. And Phil Jackson saw that and he said, that is going to be a problem. And so what he ended up doing is he took Michael aside and he said, Michael, you are an amazing athlete. There is no doubt from anybody on this team that you deserve to be here. But I need your help. Because if I'm just counting on you, we are never going to make it to the finals. Never. And so what he did is he actually enlisted Michael Jordan's help in order to make the whole team better. Because one of the things that Phil Jackson knew is he said it was one thing to have an all-star's name on the back of the jersey, but it was another thing to have the name of an all-star team on the front. Joe Paterno actually said that the name that matters most on your jersey is not the one on the back, it's the one on the front. It's the team name. And Phil Jackson knew that instinctively. He said, I don't need an all-star named Michael Jordan. I need an all-star team named the Chicago Bulls. And so Michael started passing. <laughs> Michael started setting picks. Michael started saying, hey, it's down to the wire. We've got 15 seconds. You take the shot, not me. And before they knew it, the, the Bulls became the dominant team in the NBA because they understood that it's not about one person. That the only way we're going to get anywhere is as a team, as a community. And so they worked hard at community. They worked hard at being a team. And this is something that I think is so elusive for us because in our day and age, team does not come naturally. Working well together, uh, working well with others doesn't come naturally. Allowing someone else to speak into your life 
and to say, hey, you need help or you need coaching or you need to do this, that, or the other thing is not something we take to naturally. In fact, I was recently reading an article in Bloomberg Business News, and this is what the article said. They did a study of CEOs of top Fortune 500 companies, and this is what they found. They said, nearly two-thirds of CEOs surveyed do not receive outside leadership counsel, but nearly all say that they want advice. So what's stopping them? CEOs, top leaders in business know that they can't do their job alone, that they need coaching, they need help, they need advice, and yet they won't take it. And the question is, why? And I think the answer to that question of why is that we live in an individualistic culture where success is defined by how you run as an individual. That success is a solo affair. And that the best people are those who on their own pull up their own bootstraps, and cross that finish line. We are bent toward individualism. We are bent toward isolation. But what Scripture would argue and what I would suggest to you is that that will only get you so far. And that that is no way to run the race of life and faith. Because underneath all the individualism are really two issues, issues of pride and issues of fear. That part of the reason we go it alone is sometimes because we're prideful. Because we don't think we need help. Because we don't want people's advice. Because we think that we have it all figured out on our own. But one of the things that Scripture tells us, and I think that this is very important, is that it tells us that that kind of pride is disastrous in the long run, both for you and for those who count on you. Here's what King Solomon writes in Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 13. He says that it is better a poor but wise youth than an old but foolish king who no longer knows how to heed a warning or who no longer knew how to take advice. See, what he's saying is he said, I would rather see a poor, humble youth than have an old and foolish king who can no longer take advice from other people. Because the moment you start to say, I've got this figured out, what you end up doing is you end up numbing yourself and deafening your ears to the good advice of the people that God has placed in your life. That you're no longer receiving the best counsel. You're no longer able to pursue the best because you've closed your ears and shut your eyes to the help and the assistance of others. And King Solomon is saying, as a king, I would rather have a poor and wise youth than an old and foolish ruler who didn't know how to take advice. But then there's the other side of the equation. There's the fear side that part of the reason we go it alone is because we're afraid. Because we're afraid that if we fail, we will let other people down. Because we're afraid that if we fail, people will look at us and they'll start to wonder, well, what does that say about that person? What does that say about you? You're nothing but a failure. We're afraid of the discomfort and the pain, and so we prefer to just kind of go it alone. But here, too, Scripture has words for us. Here, too, from the Proverbs, it tells us that anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down, but a good word makes him glad. That's from Proverbs twelve twenty-five. What it's saying is that anxiety and fear in our hearts can paralyze us. 
That when we're so afraid of what other people will think or we're so afraid of the discomfort that will come that we never actually do anything, that we never actually pursue the change or the transformation that God is calling us to, and so we just remain stuck. Pride and fear drive us to go it alone, and the results are disastrous consequences for us. But the good news that Scripture gives us is it says that you were never meant to go it alone. You were never meant to run your race by yourself. There is a team, there is a community that God has put around you. That God has given to you as a gift for your good. Specifically, going back to that Ecclesiastes passage for a moment, this is what Solomon writes. I just love this. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up, but pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm, but how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. And then listen to this. A cord of three strands is not easily broken. See, the first thing that, that Solomon is telling us is he's saying, look, pity the person who goes alone because they have no one to defend them. They have no one to help protect them. They have no one to help them when they fall. They have no one to keep them warm when they are cold. It says, pity that person who goes it alone. Two are better than one because they get a good return for their labor. But then notice the last shift that he, he makes. He then shifts from two to Three, a cord of three strands is not easily broken. Many commentators looking at that passage say that the third in that relationship is God himself. That the team that God has given us is himself and the community that he has placed around us. Going all the way back to that creation story, what did God say? He looked at the man in the garden and he said, it is not good that the man should be alone. Let us make a helper fit for him. Now, people look at that as a marriage verse because then we know that God created woman, and it is a marriage verse, but it's also a community verse. It's a statement about the fact that we are not meant to go it alone, and here, too, we hear it in Ecclesiastes. Two are better than one, but then a cord of three strands is not easily broken. See, the thing that, that Solomon wants us to understand is that we have a name on the front of the jersey. We have a team, and that team is Team Jesus. That first and foremost, we have a God who loves us. A God who's willing to walk through life with us. A God who is willing to go through the ups and the downs and face them with us and on our behalf. That when I look at Jesus, it sets me free from pride because I realize that in Christ, I can't do it alone. But the good news is, is I don't have to. Jesus says that there is no way on your own that you can change your life for the better. Not for the long haul, not for the race of perseverance to which I've called you. They're on your own. You will only get so far. But the good news is, is you don't have to go it alone, that I can do it with you. It sets us free from pride because we realize that I don't have to do it by myself. I have a God who came into this world to save me and set me free. Who walked with me, who died for me, who rose again and promises me eternal life with him, And so I can face anything in life knowing that he's there. But it also sets me free from fear because I know that even if I fail, 
Jesus still loves me. God still loves me. God knew that we would fail, which is why he came to save us. God knew that we couldn't run the race of life and the race of faith on our own, which is why he came into the world that we might experience his grace and his truth. The first thing we need to see is that Jesus is on our team. This is why we set our eyes, we fix our eyes on Christ, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. But there's another gift that Jesus gives us. That through relationship with him, what he's also given us is he's given us other people on our team. One of the metaphors that the Bible, the scripture writers use to talk about the gospel, the good news, is they say it's like we have been adopted into a new family. In fact, I love that Ephesians passage that we read a little bit earlier where, he basic, where the writer Paul says, You are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. In him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. See, what he's saying is he's saying, through Christ, we have been adopted into a brand new family, a family of love that is willing to run the race with us. And that actually, that is a gift from God for you and for me. It's a gift he delights to give. Because yes, Jesus Christ wants us to depend on the power of his spirit dwelling within us, but he also wants us to depend on the power of his spirit that's dwelling among his people. Again, Paul puts it this way in 1 Corinthians. I just love this. He says that now to each one, the manifestation of the spirit is given for the common good. That's 1 Corinthians twelve seven. What Paul is saying is he's saying... The the gifts of the Spirit are not things that we hold individually. They are gifts given to us as a family, a community of faith for the benefit of one another. It basically means that we were designed in our very salvation and in the race that we're called to run, to run it together. That it's a gift that God has given us out of his love. That we experience its abundance when we enter into relationship with other people. When we have people on our team and we give them permission to speak into our lives. Christ is the author and perfecter of our faith. But his body is the cloud of witnesses that runs with us. And his Holy Spirit moves in each and every person here for the common good. God gave that to us as a gift. So let's get practical for a second. What does it look like to really lean on the team that God has given us when it comes to our bodies, when it comes to our physical health? Well, I'd argue that you actually need two kinds of people on your team. First kind of person that you need to have on your team is you need to have the professionals. You need to have the people who know a little something about health and dieting and exercise. People who can help you because none of us is, well, I don't know, maybe one or two of you are professionals in this area, but the vast majority of us aren't. I know that I'm not. That if I were just to go to the gym and start pumping iron, I would very, very quickly get injured because I have no clue what I'm doing. And those barbells are heavy. I drop one of those things, I'm toast. I need someone to come alongside me and say, this is how to work out. 
This is how to run so you don't get injured. This is what a good, healthy dieting plan looks like. I need to go to my doctor to establish a baseline to see where I'm healthy and where I've got some deficits. I need to give them permission to speak into my lives because as professionals, they can help me in those areas where I am not an expert and where I need some help and some support. It's part of the reason that I don't just go to the YMCA and go and work out on my own, that I'm a part of classes. I actually go to like a spin class every Tuesday and Thursday because I'm trying to get ready for a bike race. And I love going to that spin class because I know that if I miss it, my trainer Lisa is going to be like, hey, we missed you last session. How are you doing? Is everything going okay? I know that one of the other guys in the class, Patrick, is going to be like, hey, man, I know you're training for that triathlon. Did you get on the bike this week? Be like, no. And he's just like, hey, you need to get on the bike. I love having that accountability because they actually encourage me to stay engaged and to stay involved, and they help me where I don't know what to do. But there's another kind of person that you need on your team, and those are the people who are in your everyday life and who have permission to ask you the tough questions in a spirit of love. People who are in your everyday life who have permission to ask you the hard questions in a spirit of love. These are the people who know me, who know my habits and patterns, my weaknesses and my shortcomings. And the people who I'm saying, you know, this is what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to be healthier. I'm trying to eat better. I'm trying to exercise. And so I want you to ask me how I'm doing with that. And if you see me reaching for that donut to really ask me the tough question, hey, do you need that today? Really? Now, here's the kicker. That's great for me to say that, right? You're all like, yes, we all need a team. We need to give people permission. It only works if they actually have permission. And here's what I mean. That if you ask someone, hey, I need you to hold me accountable, when they hold you accountable, don't bite their head off. (laughs) Right? Nervous laughter. Yes. Don't bite their head off. So when you reach for that, don't they say, hey, are you really supposed to be eating that? Back off, man. It's my body. You can't do that. Because again, remember, this community is a gift to you from God. They're not asking you to shame you, not asking you to put you down. They're asking you because they love you and they want the best for you. See, when I realize that Jesus Christ loves me as I am, and that he's adopted me into a family who loves me as I am, I am willing to receive the advice and the feedback and the input from my brothers and sisters in faith. I can receive those tough questions as gifts given to me to encourage me to run my race with perseverance. I look and I see that Jesus Christ is indeed my Lord and Savior. That he's run the race and continues to run the race with me. I trust in him for my value and for my identity, but then I also see the family that he's adopted me into as a gift as well, a group of people who are running the race side by side. And that these two things remind me that I am precious in God's sight, that I have value to him, and that I am called to run the race well, the race to which he has called me to pursue. My prayer for us is that we, as a church, would indeed steward our bodies well. That we'd realize that, yes, they are gifts from God, but that we wouldn't do that solo. That in all areas of life, whether it's dieting and exercise, or accountability and spiritual disciplines, or growing in our devotional life, or learning to serve, or learning to lead, we would lean on the community of faith that God has given us as a gift.
so that together the whole body may grow to be a holy temple for the Spirit of God. Our lives are precious to God. We were bought with a price. That was a gift won for us on the cross through Christ. But then he did more than that. He adopted us into a family, a family to encourage us as we run the race. Praise be to the God and Father who indeed saves, who calls, and who draws us together as one. Let's bow our heads and pray. Lord Jesus Christ, we thank you that you've called us not just to a relationship with you, but a relationship with one another as well. And so, Lord, we pray that we would indeed steward our bodies as a gift. Thank you for making us in your image. But, Lord, I pray we wouldn't run that race alone, that we would give people in our lives permission to speak into our daily living, to ask the tough questions in a spirit of love. And, Lord, through that, I pray that we would see transformation. That as we lean on each other's gifts, we would grow. And so thank you, Father, for being our Father. Thank you, Jesus, for being our Savior. Thank you, Spirit, for being our source of power and strength. Thank you, God, for the gift of your church, this family of faith. It's in the name of Christ that we say, amen. Thank you for spending some time in God's Word with us during this message. It was recorded live in worship at Trinity Church in Lyle, Illinois, where God is leading us on our mission to look, live, and love more like Jesus. Would you like to know more about a relationship with Christ or more about Trinity, who we are, what we believe, and where and when you might join us in worship or a growth group? Please visit our website at tlc4u.org. That's the letters T-L-C, the number four, and the letter U.org. May God bless you and yours abundantly through Jesus Christ. Thanks again for listening.